Welcome to Your Teen with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. We are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. We're excited to have our first series ever on any one topic on Your Teen with Sue and Steph. Today is the very first episode of what will be a three-part series that we're doing on teenagers and sex. Okay, we know this is not the, the topic that everyone wants to hear about, but we also know it's so important that we take a role in this when it comes to our teenagers. So the topics are going to cover giving the talk in air quotes, teenage dating and relationships, and the third one will be about porn. Really tough topics, really uncomfortable. The experts we have are going to simplify this for you. So we look forward to giving you this experience. We're starting off the series today with a conversation with Dr. Justine Ang Fonte about everyone's favorite topic, sex education. But Justine's approach is very, very different from the one we're all used to. And we are super excited to share that with everyone listening. But before we talk to her, we're going to talk about our experiences giving the talk. <laughs> so, yeah, in my house, the talk went to the doctor. And mm. from what I understand, it went like this. So, do you have any questions? Not really. Okay. <laughs> I think actually it was better than that. But in general, we were not, this was not our shining moment as parents. How about you, Steph? Nor was it ours. Nor was it ours. I would say we, the, and you and I talked about it after. I actually talked to a couple of friends about this over the weekend because it was bothering me. I'm like, man, I fell down on that. Like, I feel like I had really good intentions and I feel like I talked the talk, but he didn't have the talk. And I, I think it was so uncomfortable that I just shied away from it, which is so not what we're supposed to do and what we stand for. And I would say the only place where we maybe, maybe get a check and not even a check plus is giving all three of them condoms and talking about safe sex and that was it. But we didn't have the the talk and the conversations like Justine is telling us to have. Like, I wish I could rewind the clock like a dozen years. I just, I don't know. What about you? Well, I feel like with each kid, it got less awkward, but mm. it, it is really awkward. And how do I have it when I'm not even really sure what I'm supposed to talk about? Like I have, I didn't grow up in a time where the conversation was happening. Although I will say I was very precocious in a lot of ways. And I was the third kid in my family and some conversation must've been happening. And I, I think my mother was pregnant with my sister. And I said, well, how'd you get pregnant? And I remember where I was, which is so weird because who were, I was four, at the, I was less than four, but I totally remember I was in bed with them and they were like, well, you know, mommy, daddy love each other, some, some nonsense. And I said, no, but how do you make the baby? And they were like, well, you know, this, this, and this. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. How do you, I mean, don't you do something? Eventually they said, fine, here's the conversation here. We're going to have the talk with a less than four year old right now. And I probably was scarred totally because even though I wouldn't <laughs> stop asking questions, they like today that the, the um, advice is to only give them what they can manage. And usually it's right. Driven, so it's driven by what the kid asks. But I was already interviewing at four years old. So I was asking <laughs> more and more and more. And my parents didn't know to say like, I, you know, I think probably what we told you is the story you need to hear at this age. <laughs> 
So I think I was a little freaked out because I, you know, I don't remember much about that time in my life, but I do remember that. So don't do that. (laughs) Well, I'm having two flashbacks as you're telling that. So the first is I'm picturing our house on Distant Street in Philadelphia. And I used to spend a lot of time in the basement because we had a TV down there in the swivel chair. And I would sit in the swivel chair and watch TV because I was a third kid. The TV was like my babysitter. And the laundry room was down there. And I remember going into the lot. Now, we moved from that house when I was 10. So I'm under, I'm sub 10, right? And I remember going into the laundry room and saying to my mom, why do people keep talking about the birds and the bees? Like, what does that mean? Like, I didn't understand why it was called that. And she said, oh, that's just a silly name for, for sex or for, I don't remember, but she said something. I was like, all right. And like went back to my swivel chair. Like that was. Yeah, that's the normal. That's what's yeah. supposed to happen. But I persisted and they didn't know to like back off or, you know, yeah. it's my fault, but you know, they were the grownups. And what I remember in my house is that my fourth was, I think that maybe the doctor gave us a book. I loved those books so much. And so I guess in that regard, I did have the conversation with each kid. Cause when I, when we got those books, I would read them with my kids and we would, you know, they would be squirmy a little bit, but not no shame or anything, just like you. Yeah. So with my fourth, there was a great new book out and I sat there with her and went through the book. She didn't really want me to be part of the conversation, but I insisted that we, you know, go through the book. But then I was said, you know, but you hold on to the book if you want to read it again, whatever. So I am talking to a friend. She's telling me that her daughter knows all about sex. And I was like, really? That's so crazy. Like, do they do something at school? No. How does she know about it? Your daughter. (laughs) And let me guess, it was her firstborn. Her first, my fourth. Of course. Of course. It had to be. I think, like, probably both you and I did better than we think on reflection. I don't think I've ever really understood, till we spoke with Justine, that I was doing a good job. I thought a good job meant that I understood the fallopian tubes and, and, how, where, and all of this detail. And like to explain that everyone's vulva looks different. I thought there were, and I learned all of these things watching sex ed, by the way, as a 60 year old. So I just want to say, if you are uncomfortable, watch sex ed, because it is the very best. I love that show. Unbelievable. A little yes. squirmy in the beginning until you get totally. used to the amount of sex that's taking place. Yes. And, and fairly graphic, I would say. Mm-hmm. But even people in education feel like it is a great tool for our kids. And for me, apparently, because I loved that one scene with the cupcakes. I loved it so much. Oh, my God. That was a great scene. Yeah. That was a great scene. Well, so the other thing I was remembering, and again, so maybe maybe we're being a little hard on ourselves, but so when Lane was, when I was pregnant with Lane, Zach would have been four, he was two, and by the time I had Lane, so Zach was like five, early fives in kindergarten. And we clearly had been talking about it because the story I remember is my parents came into town to meet Lane. We were sitting in the dining room and we were passing food and like it got quiet for a second. And <laughs> Zach says, obviously the wheels were spinning. He's like, wait a minute. So how does the penis get in the vagina? I'm like, can someone pass the potatoes? So obviously there had been conversations going on, but I think the piece that Justine brought to me was, or is, this idea of relationships, like in 
our listeners will hear this about like starting in first grade and what a friendship means and relate, like that feels so comfortable and so less scary than the conversation I think I was trying to avoid and lead so naturally to the rest. So I think if if you were lucky enough to be listening to this, <laughs> your kids are younger and starting in that place, that that feels so natural. And you and I, th- I think we both did really good jobs with that. We had talked after the show about friendships and what those look like and how to treat people and all those things, right? Well, I think it's a daunting kind of feeling that there's some kind of sex education that's supposed to take place in the home. And I think Justine relieved us of the idea that we had to know everything. It's really not that. It's that when she brings up the point about relationships, we both had a very big aha moment of like, that makes so much sense. So even if you don't have younger kids and, and you have older kids, it's still a moment to think about, are they a good friend? And do they totally. have good friends? And if they're in a relationship, are they a good partner? So I think all of that is like something that probably most of us do organically and don't realize that it's part of the bigger story. Like, you know, I- Oh, I, I like that. that. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> and I remember, I don't know what age it was, but I do remember learning about like sanitary napkins in school And I think I'm old enough that maybe they gave us a belt with it, like something disgusting that was like, oh my God, so gross. And I remember being grossed out by all of that, but I don't remember anything beyond my period being part of a discussion. So how do we model what we didn't learn? It's really crazy, but I do think Justine gave us some tools. Like I'm so excited for people to hear her. Wait, wait, I'm so excited for people to hear her. And my college freshman has no idea what's about to await her when she gets home after finals. She has no idea how rich the conversation is going to be in our household. But to your point, like, I do feel like when we talked to her, I thought, oh my God, that ship has sailed and I stink and I don't, like, but it's not too late. It's like 529 plans. <laughs> it's not too late. Like, you can you can still capture this okay, conversation. Okay, if you don't understand that reference. <laughs> then you haven't been listening to us at all for the last Every time years. we talk about college saving plans with Ohio 529, Tim Garrell says, there's no better time to start saving than when the, your baby is born. And then the next best time to start saving is today. <laughs> that's never that's the same. That could apply yeah. to much about parenting. <laughs> no, but I love, and you know, our listeners will hear about this joy and fulfillment and all that. It was, it's such a rich conversation. That's what I kept thinking. This is a really rich conversation. And I, I actually keep thinking, I've had this many moments when I've raised my kids where I have to keep listening to something with different kids in mind and different either different relationships or different circumstances, because then I'm picturing, it's kind of like when you when you look at colleges, you have to go with like that kid in mind. And I feel like this conversation, while like the maybe 90% of it is the same, I think it's knowing your kid too and thinking about like how it's relevant for where they are in their life right now. So I actually like, I, I'm looking forward to just like listening and listening again, because I think you pick up different things at different times. If you're up for it, even if you watch Sex Education by yourself, which I would recommend, I wouldn't want to watch it with my kids, but I watched it by myself and they watched it by themselves. And then we have talked about stuff and it's so much easier than having me try to dance the step of not talking about you, but kind of talking about you. (laughs) These are really characters on TV that have this story that you can address. I found it really helpful in terms of 
Do you know people who deal with that or just the way media helps us all the time if it's done well? Yeah. And those relationships are particularly in that show. All the relationships are so different in terms of, you know, like heterogeneous, homogeneous, you know, but like, I, I feel like you got to see like every type of, and ages. And I don't know. I just thought it was so well done. I, I just, I was always surprised by something that came up in the show. I'm like, oh, it made me think about things differently. I, yeah, I loved it. Up next is our conversation with Dr. Justine Ang-Fante. We can't wait for you to join us. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greeny. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the Guilty Greeny. There's your first challenge of the week, (laughs) avoid elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. That's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. Hi. My name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing Business Bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Hi, this is Kim Thompson, host of Storytime Anytime a podcast packed with songs, stories, and a whole lot of learning fun. Each episode will explore a new topic like dinosaurs, sharks, space travel, chemistry, horses, reptiles, and so much more. New episodes are out every other week, so check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. It's really story time and music at its best, exclusively for kids. Justine Angfante is a sexuality educator, producer, and a daughter of Philippinex immigrants. As a nationally recognized speaker, Justine consults to both public and private institutions across the United States on intersectional health education topics and is a speaker to thousands of students in school communities. Justine, thank you so much for being here with us today. 
We have all heard that we must have the talk with our kids. And then we learned that it wasn't the talk at all. It was many little talks over the years, which left most of us, myself included, feeling entirely unprepared and like I was over and over again letting my kids down. So today we have Justine, and in a very short amount of time, we are hoping that you can move us from uncomfortable to, well, we'll say more comfortable in the next half hour. But based on our earlier conversations, you are more than up to the challenge. So let's start with, the, with what you know about teenagers, both middle school and high schoolers. Just give us the facts, the facts that are going to make us bristle. Ah, here are the bristling facts, Sue. Kids are watching porn as young as eight years old. It does not mean that it's on purpose, but they are getting a hold of a smartphone so they have access to porn, and the research is showing it's as young as eight. The next bristling fact is that the average age of first sexual experience or initiation of first intercourse is 17 years old. And I say it's bristling because it is... Not what most people expect in the United States. They think it's a lot earlier when in fact it's 17. And this is helpful knowledge for a high schooler to know because they perceive everyone has already done this and I and they're left behind when in fact the research is showing it's 17. In terms of the number of people that will experience some amount of sexual violence in their lifetime, it's one in three that's one in three. There are four of us, you know, on this team right now recording. The statistics already show that at least one of us have experienced this. And it's so normalized to the point where people now discount it. And that's what rape culture is all about, where we're just swimming in these toxic waters and thinking, well, it happens all the time. This is just how it is. And I would say in terms of, you know, how people are addressing this, there are amazing curricula out there. The reality is only 18 states in the United States are actually mandated to teach medically accurate sex education. And that means all the other states aren't even doing anything at all, let alone doing it in a medically accurate way if they try to cover it. And if they're covering it, it tends to be pretty fear-based and sex-negative, assuming that everything about one's sexuality and it, the experiences are automatically something bad for you. So our young people are not getting the information they need, and they are craving for this content. Was that bristling enough? I just want to say that that is mind-blowingly shocking, all of those things. Like, we've got to empower our kids to not fall into these stats. Yeah. I'm trying to digest those statistics that you just threw at us. That's pretty disturbing. <laughs> so let's talk about when uh, discussing your school curriculum. When you first talk to parents uh, or when you meet with parents to discuss your curriculum, tell us what's the first thing you ask them. I ask them to recall and reflect on the first time or first moment where they realized or learned that sexuality was a thing. It could have been, um, you know, a commercial they were watching. It could have been something that happened in their own family, a person who's come out in their friend circle, whatever it is. I just ask them, when is the first time you learned about sex and sexuality? And then after they reflect on that, I ask them, to think about whether or not it was a positive or a negative experience for them. And for most people, even when you ask that today, it's a 
negative experience. They felt traumatized by it. They were offended or violated by it. They were scared of it. They were harmed by it. Or it was in a very negative context altogether. And that's such a shame because sexuality is something that is a beautiful identity that we can have. And yet it's not one that is celebrated. It's seen as a stigma and a taboo. And Therefore, people don't want to talk about it and therefore don't know how to talk about it. And the vicious cycle just keeps going. So we're starting at a disadvantage. I mean, we become parents and we understand how sex works in order to become parents, but we don't understand and we haven't been taught how to really deeply have the conversation for somebody who doesn't know it. So give us like some of the things that you share when you're with parents. How do we take on this responsibility that we feel we own and be able to do it well. I think a lot of parents who think that sex ed or talking about sex means talking about intercourse. And I think that's a big misnomer because if you actually understand what falls under the umbrella of sexuality, it's a lot of things you would never think of. But when you think about what falls under those categories, you're like, Yeah, that is about sex and sexuality. So we're talking about things like sensuality and pleasure. What does that mean for a first grader who's just trying to understand what a joyous friendship is like? That's a healthy relationship they're either cultivating or not experiencing. So already our basis of how we relate to one another gets influenced by the first friends we're making on the playground. So that's one. How do we understand pleasure and joy and sensuality so that when the stakes are higher, we understand what a healthy friendship looks like and therefore what a healthy relationship looks like if it becomes romantic or sexual? Let me just interrupt for one second and say that I'm so moved by that because I think of first grade friendships as so unconnected, but it's how to have a relationship. And I love that you just pointed that out. Exactly. How can we expect, you know, a middle schooler or a high schooler to know how to navigate a romantic relationship in a healthy way when no one's even taught them what a healthy platonic friendship looks like? How are people treating you? How are they speaking to you? Are they affirming you or validating you? Are they putting you down or do they tease you and they don't uh, respect your boundaries? All of those things have to do with safer sex, too. But we can't expect them to just figure out safer sex if even their platonic friendship boundaries have been violated and no one told them that that was something worth investing in and learning more about. So that's one aspect. The obvious reproductive sexual health, how to prevent getting a sexually transmitted infection, getting an unplanned pregnancy, experiencing those things are part of our sexual wellness, definitely. But that means first teaching even the youngest of ages what the anatomical parts are. You're not going to be able to teach them the condom and banana, you know, lesson if they don't even know what the banana represents because they've always used a nickname for that as a kid. So we want to start teaching them body agency by first knowing here's the vocabulary to name your private parts and recognize that your private parts are private. So if you have to itch them, scratch them, change clothes in that area, you go to a bedroom or a bathroom because that's a private place. And usually when we're having these lessons in elementary school, these are big kids already enough to not need a grown-up to help them change. So let's give them those exercises to already say and assert, no, I don't need your help changing. I'm a big kid now. I'm closing the door because this is a private space. Imagine if we could already normalize that type of assertion skills in a six-year-old. 
and what that would mean for a sixth grader to be able to also say, I'm not comfortable with that. You don't play fair. Or uh, I think you're standing a little too close to me. Or like, I never wanted to be touched. And then a 16-year-old experiencing that in possibly a sexual situation. So that has to do with the body agency aspect of understanding your sexual health by first knowing even how your body works and its functions. Then we have things around power and agency. So when we're looking at power dynamics, what are the barriers in place that are preventing us from having healthy relationships and the pressure in, the, in our world that extrinsically tells a young person, well, I mean, you don't want to go to college a virgin, right? So you better get laid now. Or come on, boys do this. This is how you gain social capital. The more you hit, bang, or tap that, what's your body count now? How many people have you hooked up with? This is how our high schoolers are talking about sex. And this is far from a healthy, intimate relationship. So when we talk about power, it's important to ask a young person that might be interested in, you know, engaging in sexual behaviors, what is their actual intention? Are they trying to procreate? Probably not. Are you trying to experience pleasure? Probably. That's the most common reason someone engages in intimate sexual behaviors. But the other one that people don't talk about is power. If I do this, I gain power. If I do this, I have now a conquest. I can say I have won. And if we think about any Me Too story that has been made public, think about the power dynamic there. It wasn't about achieving orgasm. It was about making sure people knew that they were entitled to another person's body. And that's why consent wasn't even a part of this conversation, Right. And so we want to make sure that young people are engaging in intimacy before they're engaging in intercourse, which, yeah, means vulnerability. And the reason they are scared of that vulnerability is because it's scary stuff to have to, like, connect with somebody in that way. And it makes sense why so many young people feel like they need to get drunk or high in order to bypass the intimate part, which actually ultimately provides maximal pleasure if you're really doing it for pleasure. So a lot of parents don't see sex ed as robustly as I just described. And I think that's where the problem is. They're afraid of, oh my God, if they learn this lesson, they're gonna now have sex or want to have sex. And I tell them, do you want them to learn about all this stuff through porn? No, you wanna get in there and teach them the ways to cultivate safety, fulfillment, and joy in their lives. And that's not going to be modeled for them where they will go when they will inevitably get it from porn. All right. Can you help us? You know, obviously, it's, you know, parents listening to li- listening to the podcast and we're all we're so desperate for resources. So if you want to get more knowledge, more information, what are some resources you can point our audience toward? That's the great thing about sex ed, Stephanie, is that there are so many resources that are totally underutilized. So I'm glad that there's a platform like yours to be able to share what some of those are. My favorite one for families is sex positive families. It is excellent. If you Google them, they have workshops that are online for both parents or parents with their child that they can take. There is a really wonderful filter process for book resources or media resources. So if you 
click on the uh, the book reading list, for example. You can type in any age group that you're interested in, any topic that falls under sexuality, and automatically it will give you a list and a bibliography of all of the most sex-positive books for that age group. So if I'm interested in a third, because I have a third grader, and they need to understand consent a little bit better because they don't understand people's personal space, then I'm going to look up books for third graders that are sex-positive around consent and body boundaries. And all of a sudden, you'll see this long list of amazing resources that'll take you right to where you can buy them. So that's my favorite one to go to. And Sex Positive Families also um, has a really active Instagram account too, where you can just see gems of quotations that are telling you, all right, it's the holiday season. Here's why it's actually not great to put your kid on Santa's lap when they're crying, right? (laughs) And so that you give them all of these things around respecting body boundaries and giving them tools at an early age as to what consent really is. So that's my favorite resource. I love I love your examples and start starting so early because then it just becomes part of what you do. Like even this example of sitting on Santa's lap, like you're a little kid. Sexuality is everywhere. And that's what the thing about, you know, people wait until it's like, oh, well, I think they have a crush now. So it's time to have the talk. And I'm like, you waited till seventh grade. You're now like <laughs> 11 years behind and you're going to now to teach them to unlearn whatever has already taught them about how you treat someone that you have a crush on. And we know from Hollywood how they really misrepresent what real connections can look like. But kids are picking that up from Disney movies. I just want to jump in and say our audience is parents of middle school and high school kids. So we like to leave them with some hope. (laughs) So if we have failed, if we failed miserably up until this point, how do we redeem it? There has to be a way. We can't be like you know, screwed up, done. Absolutely. But I think it's important to still mention that when parents are starting it in middle school, they think it's still too early and they will continue to procrastinate and then wait until, well, we'll just see if like there's behavior that alludes to the fact that they might now be having sex or, oop, there's another like me too story, better talk to them about it. And now you're bringing it in when the stakes are already so high. So if you are a sixth grade parent or above, it is not too late and it is definitely not too early. So make sure that you start bringing in resources like amaze.org. That's A-M-A-Z-E dot org. They have a free video resource curriculum available on their website. They have an active Instagram account and they have two to four minute cartoon clips that I show all the time in my middle school sex ed classes. It's talking about everything every topic you can think of in a way that honestly, no matter who's listening to this, is going to be better than however you will eloquently explain it. Because it's visual, it's funny, it's inclusive, and it's so comprehensive. That's why I just press play when I'm teaching it. And I'm off the hook. Exactly. All you got to do is press play. And then if you watch it with your child, you just ask like, oh, what'd you think of that video? Boom, that's your curriculum. That's your prompt right there. Or you just say to them, you know, what is something you didn't know that that video has now given you information about? What is stuff you already knew that that video reiterated? 
And so you're using a curriculum that already exists. There's no need for you to reinvent the wheel. You're already doing enough, paying their tuition, driving them to soccer practice. You have enough on your plate. Just press play on an Amaze video and have a conversation with your kid about it on the drive home or at the dinner table or give them the website and then just assume and hope that they're going to watch a bunch of them and then talk to them about it later. Like, oh, what videos have you watched this week from there? Because it really has this like big mouth kind of family guy aesthetic and the humor is just so spot on that it's really palatable and easy to now talk about consent, sexting, why don't I like how the, my body looks? How do I ask out someone I like? How do I have a first kiss and do it safely? What's the difference between harassment versus just teasing? What is body image? Explain what gender identity is versus biological sex. It's amazing and it's a free resource. And I wish parents all knew about it because they have an amazing podcast as well. And there are just so many ways that they're getting this information in palatable ways for parents. Check them out. Well, now all parents <laughs> will know about it because of you. Exactly. <laughs> I hope so. Tell us about your mission when you teach students. I hope that anyone that learns from me has more fulfillment, more safety, and more joy in their intimate lives. That does not mean that when you speak to me, you're going to now want to have, you know, uh, have sex immediately, right? Or that you're going to uh, practice all of this, like, you know, all of these behaviors that parents are afraid of. It just means that you are scrutinizing the relationships that you are in to a higher degree because you've now learned all of the different ways to understand your body is deserving of kindness, in how somebody treats you, in how you think about your own body and what you feed your body. So you're gonna be a little bit more aware with who you're spending your time with, how you're spending your time with them, and really listening to the signals your body is sending you so that you can actually listen to those as opposed to the external factors pressuring you into doing something you may not be ready for or might not want to do. Similarly, we want the person on the other hand to also scrutinize their own behaviors when they are talking to somebody else in evaluating, is this person having fun with me? Am I making them feel comfortable? Am I respecting their boundaries? Am I actually exercising emotional intelligence and accepting a no and a no without question because I know I'm not entitled to their body? My mission is that people are looking for ways to understand sex that brings them safety, fulfillment, and joy. And that's really the ultimate goal of comprehensive, inclusive sexuality education. That makes me feel a little safer in terms of the parenting because I think my antenna are up about relationships. So if I see friendships that are imbalanced, if I see on either side, either side of that, like I have the the more aggressive or the, or the being aggressed. I think that's more intuitive to parents. So I, I feel like this is a little bit of a thank you. <laughs> Good. I'm glad, Sue, because it doesn't have to be intimidating. And especially for parents, when you go in with that framework to your child that look, that you're saying, look, all I want for you in any relationship you have is that you have safety, fulfillment, and joy. I want you to be emotionally and physically safe with whatever you're doing. I want you to feel affirmed and fulfilled by all of your identities and have, have other people respect you in a way that fulfills you and fills your cup. And I also want you to actually feel enjoyment, pleasure, and joy with those relationships that you're in. 
So when I come to you and tell you that I'm concerned because I found out through, you know, your search history that you're watching porn, I'm concerned that you're not getting examples modeled for you as to what safe, fulfilling, and pleasurable actually looks like and means. And if I found out that, you know, you're now dating someone, I want to make sure that this person is providing you a space to actually be safe, to be fulfilled, and is giving you happiness and joy. And I want to make sure that you're affording them the same thing too, right? And that's all we're saying. And it's a concern as opposed to other parents' approaches of like, well, don't have sex. Uh, and oh, we'll, we'll use a condom. We'll don't have a condom. Well, you should wait till it's marriage. Or, you know, like, well, porn's bad. You should just stop watching it. Like all of that is a very sex negative approach, which doesn't open the door to your child saying, wow, this is a parent that I can go to. So in the event something happens where I need support or counsel, I know that they're not going to be mad at me because I did something they said I'm not supposed to do but you're actually giving them tools to scrutinize those relationships and make decisions that are in service of safety, fulfillment, and pleasure. So when you center it on that, that is sex-positive parenting. That's effective parenting on these topics. I hope people are feeling the way I am right now, which is like, I can so wrap my arms around this and not feel inadequate because that North Star is something I want anyway. And you just put words around it and connected it to this whole other story. So thank you. Thank you so much. I think that's really powerful. Okay, so this next question is a question that I've had for a long time. Like how much information are parents entitled to from their kids in terms of their relationships? And is it something that we should be asking? Like, does everybody ask their kid if they're sexually active? Or is that a place, uh, you know, like there's a line where you don't cross? What are your thoughts about that? Like you are teaching your child to set and assert their own boundaries. You also want them to know that you have your own boundaries and that they have a right to assert boundaries with you. Sexuality is such a sensitive topic. And especially for kids, they're afraid that they're going to be in trouble. They're afraid of their parents knowing something really intimate about them. And so every, you know, dynamic is going to be different. And there are going to be some kids that want to tell you everything. And there are some kids that that would be their biggest nightmare, right? And so it's really about the platinum rule. Treat others the way they want to be treated. Now, of course, there are exceptions. As a caregiver, an adult in their life where you need to know information so that you can bring them to safety. But they're entitled to having a private life in the same way that you're entitled to have a private life. So what you do so that it's not just a closed door all the time, even though, you know, you're trying to give them that privacy, is you're letting them know, like, I am here. I am a human being who has survived puberty. So I have some answers that I can give you about what that navigation is like. So know you have a free resource downstairs at dinner if you ever want to ask a question. But you're normalizing this conversation by talking about things in the media, for example, and just getting them to say out of their mouth words that they used aren't they they aren't used to saying. You're maybe politicizing media or current events. You're getting their opinions on different things, so that when it becomes personal to them and something that is related to an advertisement, a commercial, or something in media that's occurred, they might say, "Well, this is something I talk about with my parents all the time." 
I wonder how they would be if now I tell them, all right, I need to now talk to them, not just about why, you know, queer folks need to have equal rights, but what if I were to tell them that I'm queer? Well, we talk about it so freely and I know how they, where they stand politically. So maybe it's time I can talk to them about it. But because you've been normalizing conversation on these issues from everywhere around in the world, that allows them to know what you're comfortable with and what you're not comfortable with. Nonetheless, you ask them, hey, I wanna make sure that you're safe, that you're fulfilled, and that you are living a joyous life, and I wanna get you there. How can I best support you in getting there now that I know that you're dating so-and-so, or now that I know that you've had your first period, or now that I know, you know, whatever, you're entering a new school, whatever it is. And you ask them and they might say, I don't want to talk about it. And you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to leave you some resources that I learned from the Your Teen podcast because I think you might learn a lot from it. Here's amaze.org, right? Or you get one of the books from Sex Positive Families and you gift that to them or you leave it on the coffee table or you leave it in the magazine carrier of the bathroom. And you just hope that they open it one day because the front cover says something about bodies and sex, and that's going to be intriguing for them. But I think a lot of parents just don't realize that when it comes to boundaries, you're entitled to your boundaries. They're also entitled to their boundaries. But that doesn't mean that nobody has to be talking. It just means a respect of what you're comfortable talking about and when you're comfortable talking about it. God, I feel hugged. I just feel hugged by this conversation. It's it's so it's so helpful. From New York City to Ohio. We're going to wrap up with the question we ask all of our guests. What is the biggest myth about raising teenagers? The biggest myth about raising teenagers is that um, your teenagers don't listen to parents. That's not true. They totally listen to parents. They may not be projecting their receipts of what you are saying to them. But honestly, for better or for worse, what you are saying to them and what you are modeling for them in the home front, even non-verbally, with just your body language, they are absorbing to the point where it leaves imprints on their entire being and psyche to the point where it's the cause of most of them getting therapy in the future. You have so much influence on your kids. So that's why I say better or worse. They really are listening to you. I don't want you to think that just because they are physically showing disdain or, you know, a disregard for what you're saying that they didn't hear you as they were running out or walking out or slamming the door. They are really listening and they do care about what you think almost to a fault. So don't take advantage of that, right? And really make sure that you let them know, I love you so much that I want to do my best to support you through safety, fulfilling, and joyous ways. Let's communicate and have that connection and know that that's always my goal for you. Because they're listening. And if they know that it's really couched in that level of care and positivity for their well-being, they're going to open up. Justine Ang Fonde, we can't thank you enough. This was really, really, I don't know, eye-opening, comforting, everything you could ask for. And you accomplished your goal. At least for me and Steph, we feel more comfortable. So we're hoping everyone out there does also. And thanks so much for being here with us. Thanks for having me soon, Stephanie. Thanks for joining us for the Your Teen Podcast. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. If you're someone who reads an article 
and thinks of that one friend who has to read it too, think of our podcast the same way. Please share with that friend who's going to say, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know about your team with Sue and Steph. And do us a favor and review and rate the show on the podcast platform of your choice. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. We'll see you next time. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.